1962, J.C.R., a man known as Lick, writes memos about his intergalactic network concept where everyone on the globe is interconnected and can access programs and data at any site from anywhere. He is talking to his own intergalactic network of researchers across the country. In October, Lick becomes the first head of computer research program at ARPA, which he calls the Information Processing Techniques Office. It starts with a quiet hum, an empty screen inviting you. Has the jury reached the verdict? Yes, we have, Your Honor. Come inside, it says. We're always open. Will the defendant please rise? It's a world you think where actions have no consequence. Where guilt is cloaked by anonymity. Where there are no fingerprints. An invisible universe. Filled with strangers. Interconnected online. And disconnected in life. It will steal your secrets. Corrupt your dreams. Co-opt your identity. Because in this world, where you can be anything you want, anyone you want, you just might lose sight of who you are. Thanks for downloading episode 72. My name is Russ Shaw. I am your host. My email is russ at asi247.org. If you want to check out my website, I've got a lot of great resources for you on there. It's um, asi247.org. Wanted to... Uh, address something um, that I've realized that there may be a lot of new listeners to the show. Uh, some of the old listeners, to do a reminder, have a heart check, put the old dipstick in your heart and check out the, the oil level, <laughs> is to uh, talk about my vantage point for doing the show. What is my vantage point? What is my perspective? Who am I? What are my credentials? Why do I do the show? Uh my name is Russ Shaw. I was a sex addict. Okay, sexual addiction had its hooks in me deeper than I ever thought. Okay, and that is the main perspective. That's the main drive of the show. Besides that, addiction in and of itself was something I've struggled with all my life. I've I've been addicted to all sorts of things, drugs. You know, drinking myself unconscious. I drank myself to death when I was 16 years old. I actually died for two minutes. Okay, I did just about every drug out there that wasn't intravenous because I wouldn't do a shot of anything in my arm. I was freaked out about that. So besides that, uh, I smoked it. I snorted it. I I you know if it's a drug, I did it. Okay, I. Uh, been to the parties and and all of that um underneath that non-chemical addictions sex sex is a big one uh again buying crap i didn't need 
that was a, a big one to, to overcome as well. I, me and my wife uh, filed bankruptcy back in 2004, and that was a big reality check. I'm still dealing with the ripple effect of that. And uh, But today we have two credit cards. We have a $250 balance, I think, that we have on one of our cards, and that's it. We even, you know, as hard as it gets financially, we are just not going to go back to that place. There is a real, you know, addiction drive behind buying junk we don't need. You know, it's just another numbing agent. Um, I have been medicated for ADHD. Uh, I've been diagnosed twice with hyper, uh, yeah, uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Okay, ADD or ADHD. There's some psychologists that just say it's both the same. Um, was on medication for that for about you know, about a year, and uh, the doctor said because of my mood swings that I'm probably bipolar as well. So that was the last uh, talk I had with a clinical psychologist about that kind of thing, and it was you know ADD, and and then another doctor said I was bipolar and prescribed me a bottle of Wellbutrin, which I have never taken, and I actually keep as a trophy. Not to say that you shouldn't be on your meds, man. You got a doctor and he says you're supposed to be on meds. You should take your freaking meds. I'm not that guy, okay? I'm not going to be Mr. Uh, don't take your meds because it's important. You need to get to a certain point. I think that there's a, a level or an understanding that you can get to where you don't have to live on meds all your life, okay? I, I think that you really can get there. I've, I've, I've got there, you know? The doctors, you cannot will yourself out of ADD. You can't will yourself out of depression. You can't will yourself out of bipolar disorder. And I would, I would uh, argue that you cannot will yourself out of sexual addiction. It's going to take heart work. There's not a pill you can take to not be horny. I guess there is, but that is not good for you. It's one of the things I talked about a few shows ago was... Uh, not to despise your desire. That's important. Don't despise your arousal and your desire. C.S. Lewis, who's a, a great Christian author, said that um, desire isn't the problem. You know, the problem is we don't desire enough. God has a whole holiday at the beach for us, and we, uh, we're content to play in the mud puddle. Okay, that's desire is not a problem. And one of the biggest things you can do is to stop hating your arousal and your sexual drive. It's not the problem. That is one of the things I want to touch on on the show. It is part of the core parts of the show. One of my criticisms of most recovery and some religions is that we love to focus on the behavior. We put a lot of weight. We put like 80-90% of our weight on controlling behavior on the surface and 10-20% to on the the heart level issue. I want to put 80-90% to uh, on the heart level issue and, you know, behavior modification ranges in the 20 to 10%. I think you should keep that in check. I think you should be watching that. I think it's great. All of you have sent me uh, your, your uh, I've been two weeks free, Russ. I've been three months free. I've been a year free. I think that's great. I think that you should, you should do that. But I'm really after in this show your heart because that's where long-term change is going to happen. Relapse is just a symptom of, of you not killing the queen ant. 
Okay, the queen ant, uh, the, the ant analogy is something I came up with to describe what's going on under the surface. That I had a ant problem in my house. I had these odorous house ants, and they're also called sugar ants. And, you know, we put traps out, we sprayed them, all this stuff that we did didn't kill the ants on the surface. And I talked to an exterminator friend of mine, and he says, Russ, you know, the problem with, with sugar ants is you got multiple queens. You know, you got to have a queen in the bathroom, a queen in the kitchen, a queen in, you know, your bedroom. You have to kill the queen under the surface. You're never going to get rid of the ants. You'll get rid of them for a few weeks, a few months, maybe even a year. But if there's a queen ant or if there's eggs in there, they're going to hatch and you're just going to have the whole problem all over again. So I really want to focus on the queen ants in this show. And I'm going to uh, talk about a new segment to the show. It's called Die Hard. What does it mean to have a die hard heart? You are as die hard as they come. You are as die hard as they come. Die hard hearts. What does that mean? One of the things I talk about on the show is you just never quit. You get back up. You get knocked down. You get back up. I don't care if it's for the second time or the. 100,000 and second time, you get knocked down, you get back up. You get back in the fight, you keep picking up, you keep getting back up. Okay? It's like that bully. The, the biggest thing the bully wants to do is knock you on your butt and let you sit there and then shame you for it. Keep pointing the finger at you, keep laughing at you. You get back up. That's what I'm talking about when I ha- when I talk about having a die-hard heart. Get back up and do what, Russ? That may be your second question. It was mine. I remember just getting violent, freaking out, not pushing and shoving, but with my words, with some of my counselors um, going in recovery, is like, what am I supposed to do? Okay, I get back up, then what? What do I do? That's what I want to dedicate this um, segment of the show to what what to do next. What do I do now? Okay, and a lot of this has to do with encouragement. That word encourages to build up courage. Because a lot of us, we already know what to do. Right? Pastor James at Mars Hill uh, reminded me of this. Uh, it's getting to the end of ourselves, as he likes to say. That's living the die-hard heart. That's worship. When you can live out of that place of, of, of getting to the end of yourself, right? Living out of your heart. That is, uh, that is what I'm talking about. Because here's the deal. I could spend a lot of time doing this segment on, on having a die-hard heart going over your days of sobriety. A lot of emails about that, and I think that's great, okay? I'm not going, I mean, I'm not, you know, trying to shame you at all in that. I think that, you know, I've I've got a week, Russ. I've gone two days, Russ. I've gone, you know, a year, Russ. And I think all of that's great, and I commend you, and I applaud all of you for your efforts. But I'm talking about something deeper, okay? I'm talking about something deeper when I talk about uh, Die Hard. It's bringing courage to the table. It's seeing in our own hearts what needs to change. 
And how do I get the courage to do it? So, here you go. This is an email from a listener named John. My hat's off to John for sending this in. This is awesome. Because here's the deal. We all have to live in Ephesus. Okay? We have to live in Ephesus. We're called to live in Ephesus. If you're a Christian, all right, this is, show is done from a Christian perspective. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I hate religion. And here's what that means. We have to live in Ephesus. We are not supposed to live separated from our cultures. We're supposed to shine a light. We're supposed to be salt and light. We have to live in Ephesus. So, sorry about that little distraction there, but that is incredibly important that you get that. How do we live in Ephesus and recover from something as deep as sexual addiction? Check this out. This is John. I really related to what you said about conflict. I hate conflict. I mean totally. Especially with my wife. Whenever it happens, I normally shut down, and usually when I want to speak out, I have no words at all. However, I get very defensive, and I don't know why. This only compounds everything. You mentioned that the road to intimacy goes back through conflict, and a counselor of mine mentioned the same thing. It is interesting how I've been trying to avoid conflict in my 12 years of marriage, and now I feel that it is my path, and it terrifies me. I have to go through exactly what I've been trying to avoid my whole life. What kind of a what kind of joke of gods is that? I'll keep listening, reading and writing. I feel broken in every area of my life. I thank God he has me right where he wants me. Or maybe I've driven myself exactly to the point of I'm messed up enough and I'm ready to let go of the wheel. That is powerful stuff. Um it's like that's right where you're supposed to be. I love how he came to the realization and said, what kind of a joke is this, you know, of God's? Is this some kind of joke? You know, you get to this realization point and go, what is up with this? And, and what I've realized in my own marriage is that, and in marriage in general, is that men and women think very differently. And for us to get to the end of ourselves, which is part of our own sanctification, right? Like I've said it before, I don't really believe that people fall out of love. An individual's heart just gets hard. That's what happens. The heart gets hard and crusts over. So how do we keep that from happening? How do we keep that passion alive? Where do we go when we need to learn how to love boldly? That is the question, and that's what I'm going to attempt to answer with the Ephesians and addressing this whole armor of God because that's what we need armor against is is the stuff that gets in and lets our heart grow crusty hard and cold that's what I'm talking about I want you to I'm going to go to the end and then I'm going to go to the beginning once again to uh, illustrate what I'm talking about if you got a Bible you want to look up uh, in the book of Revelations, speaking of Hal Lindsey. Okay, so something Mark Driscoll said, all right? The book of Revelations is not about you getting a chip in your head and in your hand and running your head over the scanner at Safeway. Okay, that's not what the book's about. 
It's not all about, you know, this end of the world thing. It is, a big part of it is, yes, but there's some really great attitudes that you can get out of uh, the book of Revelations. That's when Jesus shows up with a sword on a white horse. End of days. There's some pretty cool stuff, but... uh, and Jesus isn't this hippie in a dress anymore, okay, in the in the book of Revelations. Actually has a tattoo. Yes, that's in the Bible. Jesus has a tattoo down one leg. King of kings and lord of lords. So, shows up, tattooed up, ready to put his thing down. Ready to open a can, right? So, anyways, uh, the book of Revelations... Revelations chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. And have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you, he says. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Okay, the lampstand is the church, okay? The let, I love this letter to the city, right? He's writing this letter to the city. I heard this pastor, the pastor in Texas, Matt, talking about this, that, uh, you know, each city's got different churches, and they're all different lampstands, right? It's a letter to the church here in Everett, you know, the different lampstands. And and he says, uh, unless you do what you did at first, your church, your, your flame's going out. There's a lot of that happening. The letter to the church in Thyatira is another one, and that's about sexuality. You tolerate this woman Jezebel amongst you. Um, Jesus has harsh words for churches that seem to turn a blind eye towards um, leaving a negative, horrible, horrific ripple effect. One of the things that, that I... Really, when I really started to see victory over my addiction in my life, was seeing what kind of a ripple effect I was leaving. That the sin that had gotten into me, the sin that I lived with, the sin that had became, that grew on me, became part of my identity. These things of pride and envy and lust, and and you know, I I love the analogy of. uh, the movie uh, was the, the the pirate movie. Which one was that called? Pirates of the Caribbean. Took me a second there. Uh, in the second movie, I think the third movie, where you got Davy Jones, right? Davy Jones Locker. They throw you to Davy Jones. Anyways, the the crew that's on the boat actually starts to become like the boat. You know, they start to become like these sea urchins, start to stick to them, right? they got barnacles and starfish stuck to them. And that's a great analogy uh, to sin. And hell, for that matter. 
that we're in this kind of hell, that this stuff is stuck to us, and, and we're trying to pry it off, and we just start to become part of the boat, you know? And that's what Jesus is, is after here. That when the church starts to look at sin as that's just that person's little quirk or problem, that's when churches start to fall apart. That's when churches stop growing. That's when people stop going. People stop getting fed. People stop learning. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you're a pastor, you're listening to me right now, if your church isn't growing, it's dying. I'm... Uh, that's a horrible, harsh truth. But it is the truth. And I'm not just saying that m- monetary numbers, right, nickels and noses, heard one pastor say, that it's hearts and minds and souls and people's hearts being transformed by Jesus. Not religion, but Jesus. I hope we figure out what that means, and that's what I'm going to try and unpack for you as I uh, go towards uh, what it means to put on the full armor of God. At any rate, uh, there in Revelations, Jesus says, Go and do what you did at first. Now, what is that that they did at first? Now, if you go back to the book of Acts, and now this is back in uh, Acts chapter 17. No, wait, it's 18. 18, 19, I believe it is. No, actually, it's 1918. It's my dyslexia kicking in. I have a number of different dysfunctions and disorders that uh, I'm being sanctified of. (laughs) That's one of them. Uh, Here's what uh, the Apostle Paul uh, is doing in the book of Acts. This is part of the book of Acts. When he is... Here he is in Ephesus, and he's starting to make an impact. He's starting to um, get in the hearts. You know, his words are putting heart in some of the people in Ephesus. He spends a lot of time in Ephesus. He loves the people in this city. He's he's after their hearts. And here's what uh, here's what is going on here. Check this out. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came openly and confessed their evil deeds. A number of who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls. Together they burned them publicly, and they calculated the value of the scrolls to total 50,000 dacramas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, I want you to to check this out and understand what what I just talked about here. Um, This is where it's important that I um, show you religion and um, some of the realities of the evangelical subculture and what it's kind of morphed into. There's a reason for the decline of the church in the United States. There's a reason for the decline of the church in the UK. Australia is starting to have a, a bit of a growth spurt in, in certain areas of Australia. And we could learn from that. Um, 
but here's here's the main thing that I want you to understand. One thing I want to get across to you that, and this is something that, that Pastor Rick talked about in in uh, the D word, right? When it comes to discipleship, I talked about it uh, being baptized by fire. There's some churches that just teach that, you know, everybody should speak in tongues. And, you know, I'm not going to split hairs over whether you believe that or not. Um, If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. There's some churches that believe that that scripture being baptized by fire means that. I think it means something deeper than that. Okay, that Jesus coming to be your Savior is not going to be all um, happy-go-lucky, soft... Uh, puppy dogs and ice cream for you. That we're going to have to clean out our hearts. We're going to have to excavate some of the junk, some of the stuff and the clams and the barnacles that have grown on us. And part of doing that is, is being in community of, of Christians who can see you and love you for who you are. We're so afraid to be exposed. And that is just not biblical Christianity, right? Like, um, a lot of you believe, and a lot of people think, and this is a very popular attitude in evangelical circles, in religious circles, that if I can stop looking at porn, then God will be okay with me, and he will bless me with X or Y. If I can stop... uh, uh, swearing, for example, then God will be okay with me. Then he'll like me. Then he'll love me. Then I'll get blessed. Maybe I'll, I'll have a blessing financially or something like that. God will love me. God will be okay with me. God and I's relationship will be amended uh, when I can stop doing X. Okay, that is just unbiblical hogwash. That is not true. Does God discipline us? Yeah, he disciplines us. Because he loves us. Does he chasten us? Yeah, because he loves us. And that's what I'm saying, man. If you guys have been caught in some kind of adulterous affair or in your porn habit, hopefully before you've had the affair, um, this is is mercy. Okay, this, this... Look at it as mercy. That you're here... That you're where you're at now. That you get to unpack your soul. That you get to learn that these things that have grown on you, these, these, uh, you know, crustaceans that have grown on your heart, that's not you. It's not who you are. See, Jesus would rather have you talking about your brokenness, where you are are failed, where you're stuck. He'd rather have you talking about that than walking around acting like you're all self-righteous and you've got it all together when you don't. Okay, the Bible, um, Jesus does not have uh, nice, fluffy, soft words for those who just, you know, built that outside appearance. Like, here's an example. Um... Let's say somebody doesn't ever go to a bar because, not because they have a problem with alcoholism, but if they went to a bar, um, one of the Christian friends or somebody might see them and they would be thought of uh, as, you know, 
one of those people, right? Or um, a guy who's a Christian, he he uh, he doesn't associate with certain friends who might swear or have tattoos or you know dress in a certain way. Doesn't want to associate himself with those people because what? would the folks at church think if they saw me with this crew? Okay? Now, for some of you who are um, stuck in sexual addiction, you are going to have to find some new friends, okay? You will for a while. For a season. Until you get yourself healed, until you get yourself clean, until you can uh, burn that clean burning fuel that I've been talking about. Because some of those folks are going to find salvation through you. All right? But for a season, I'm not saying that you keep hanging around people, that you have to be honest with your own heart and whether those people are good for you or not. Okay? But do you see my point? I don't want to be caught drinking a beer because what people might think of me. That's that's sin, okay? And Jesus came at those folks... The Pharisees, all right? Matthew 23. You scrub and scour the outside of the cup as to make it look white and shiny, clean on the outside, yet the inside is maggot-infested and dirty and blotted. And Jesus says, right? You're like, you're like a cemetery curator. And the grass on the, on the top is like all nice and perfectly green. There's no weeds in it. It's cut, mulched perfectly. Yet underneath there's rotting bones and decaying flesh. And what, what was Jesus talking about? He was talking about that attitude that a lot of us have. If we get honest, we just don't want people to see us as that kind of person that looks at porn or that struggles with sexual integrity. We don't want to be seen as that person. And I've got the emails, man. I know that this is tough. And some of you, you know, you're afraid to lose your job. If you talk about this, you're going to get fired. There's pastors out there. And that is just not the way the church was set up to be in the first century. It's just not. Getting in community and being honest, honest about where we're at, where we're really at, is powerful. You know, Matthew eighteen twenty, Jesus says, where there's more of two than two of you are gathered in my name, I am there with you. That's, that's powerful. When Christians, real Christians who really want to love each other are there and, and they're trusting each other, not there to fix each other, but there to listen there to be, uh, you know, to, to, to walk with one another. Getting in community and being honest, honest about where we're at, where we're really at, is powerful. You know, Matthew eighteen twenty, Jesus says, where there's more of two than two of you are gathered in my name, I am there with you. That's, that's powerful. When Christians, real Christians who really want to love each other are there and, and they're trusting each other, not there to fix each other, but there to listen, there to be, uh, you know, to, to, to walk with one another. 
And listen, for those of you who, who believe that, you know, maybe if I get right, once I get over this addiction, then God will be cool with me, then God won't be mad at me anymore, then my life will start going well. Listen, God, God already loves you. You don't arrive at this pinnacle place where you're the teacher's pet. God is pleased with you right, right there, right where you're at. When you start confessing this out, it, the sin, starts to lose its grip on you. Do you understand? It's not God doing this to you from the outside. It's that you're, you have something inside you that's, that's got a grip on you. It's got chains on you. You start breaking the chains when you start to confess, when you start to really believe and be obedient to Christ. What, what that means is you're, you're doing the stuff that he says because you love him and he loves you and he wants to see you free. That we're, we're inside out people, really. The spiritual life is about being and not doing. It's about being. It's just being you, inside out you, not this outside in you. Because listen, this is just one of the many queen ants of pride. Of pride. That the, the thing on the surface was, was, you know, porn, and that had evolved into adultery for me. One of those queen ants that was giving birth to that was that pride that I didn't want to talk about it. That I didn't have a group of people. That I didn't get safe. You know, I, I didn't find... I didn't... I wasn't diligent about talking about this. It's so embarrassing, right? I'm going to be the only one. You, that is not true. That is not true. Pride is, is the queen ant giving birth underneath to those surfacy behaviors. I heard a pastor, uh, Pastor Matt in Texas, talking about uh, pride is the hardest thing to preach on because the person that needs to hear it is deaf, right? Like if you stand in front of a church and say, all right, today we're going to talk about pride. And the person that needs to hear it the most, they're sitting there in the pew or the seat or whatever, and they're going, yeah, let's talk about pride, right? Because Mary over here needs to hear it. <laughs> and that's how we get in our own pride. You need to hear this for you. If you're struggling with this addiction, I'm here to take away your excuses. I'm here to kill the queen ants, and that's the hardest part. Being baptized by fire, that is going to be the hardest part. Because we can look at the other person, and that's another thing I wanted to address. Because a lot of you, I've heard people that, you know, you listen to the show like 10, 15 times, and a certain show that touched your heart, and it seems to lose its power, its grip after a while. Um, one of the things that I really want you to do while you're listening to the show is to focus on yourself. Because I think that a lot of us addict types, that's one of the biggest things we can do, is that we take our ears off of ourselves and we start to look at other people, right? Like, man, Bob needs to hear that, what Russ just said right there. And it becomes a habit. Like, you become in this habit pattern of getting it off of you, and other people need to hear this. 
I bet there's other people that, you know, and that it starts to feed into your, your correction or your judgment of someone else. Do you hear what I'm saying? It stops impacting and penetrating your heart when you get that habit of putting it on someone else. Your thoughts of what I'm saying as it's going through your mind, instead of letting it sink into your heart, it's, it's being diverted out of your mind onto someone else. A cool thing that I, I heard a baseball uh, baseball coach. My son was in Little League, and I helped out with the pitching. And this guy was a coach. He'd been a coach for years, baseball coach, helped the kids. And one of the things he did I thought was brilliant was to get them to hit the ball. Um, one of the toughest things, you know, to get nine, eight, nine-year-old kids to hit the ball. You know, watch the ball. You can say that to a kid. Watch the ball. Throw the ball. Watch the ball. Hit the ball, right? Say that all day long. They're not hitting the ball. One of the things he did, I thought was brilliant, was he painted like he took some paint or a you know ink, one of the sharpies, and he put like red ink on the ball, and then he put blue ink on another ball, put yellow ink on another ball, and green ink on another ball. And when he threw the ball to the kids, he told them, instructed them to call out the color as it's coming at them, right? So when he pitched the ball at them, they'd say red, and boom, they'd hit the ball. You know, blue, boom, they'd hit the ball. This was really effective. You know, we can shout at somebody all day long, hit the ball, hit the ball. All right, Mikey, you know, Mikey's got a troubles hitting. I can keep telling Mikey to hit the ball, but, you know, it's going one ear, in one ear and out the other. He knows that he's supposed to hit the ball. That's why he's standing there with a bat in his hand. Like, duh, right? And I felt like that, you know. We felt like that. That little kid holding the bat in his hand and somebody says, well, just stop doing that. You know, it's kind of like just hit the ball, right? I know. Okay, duh. I know. What I really want you to see here, I want you to be deeper than self-aware, okay? I want you to be heart-aware. I want you to be aware of the desires of your own heart. What is it really that you're chasing, that you're after? You know, why? Why? What is it in that next glimpse that you're looking for? What is it in the next orgasm, right? What is it in the next eye contact that you make with someone to see if you still got it? I mean, what? Heart desire. Your heart, okay? Not the thing that pumps blood, but the, the center of your being, the the center of who you really are in your identity, level three, the deepest level of your identity. What are you chasing? As religions that say, well, I can empty myself of desire if I get in the lotus position and just not desire anything. Okay, that's that's crazy. If you do that, you're actually desiring peace. That's what you're doing. You're still flowing. We're like time travelers. We exist in time, and in that moment in time, if that's what that person's doing, they are desiring peace. They're desiring to empty themselves of desire. Is a desire for peace. Do you understand? So what are you behind your eyes really after? I say that a lot, behind your eyes. What does that mean? This is exactly what it means, because there's a habit of taking your eye off of your own heart... And, and evaluating the, the heart of others. Do you understand? 
adding that extra element of instruction, which is watch the ball for you. This ball is coming at you. When I do this show, I want you to understand that what I'm saying is for you behind your eyes. And I want you to break the habit, just like bouncing your eyes that I talked about, just like watching your thought life, just like squishing out, snuffing out the thoughts. I want you to be very aware of the habit pattern of shifting instruction. Being a good heart student. I'm building your heart intelligence. Being a good student, I had to learn, because I was really good at this, man. My mom needs to hear this. My, my wife needs to hear this. Oh, our wives, you know, that's a great one. We can see real clearly our wives, you know, <laughs> problems, right? Like me with my wife, I could map out all the things that I thought were wrong with what she was doing, and she should be doing this, and she should be doing that. And what was I doing? You know, that whole Jack Nicholson line from uh, A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson in Tom Cruise movie, where he goes, You can't handle the truth. You just can't handle the truth. That's your problem. Uh, I had a hard time handling the truth. Truth was, was I was a... I was a mess. I was a disaster. I had a lot of barnacles growing on my heart. I had a lot of issues I needed to recover from. Aerosmith and uh, being honest with jaded. Who's really jaded? It's easy to look at our wives and say they're bitter and negative and nasty, but who's the one that jaded them? <laughs> really, honestly, are we able to really look at our own hearts and see the impact that we're having on our wives and our families? Many who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The three layers of identity is what I'm going to call it. Um, we put so much stock in our surface identity. We do, and I think that's what Jesus is talking about 
You know, God comes to earth. Here's the deal. God comes to earth as a man, missional, here to save his people, here to be our savior. And when we get that, that's when we go to level three of our heart. When we reach for Jesus to save us and not the stuff on the surface to help save our surface us, you know. Um, some of that surface us needs to die. Some of our pride, some of our I'm right, some of our, our, our attitudes like that, just they just need to die. Building in our heart, our heart identity, living out of our heart, it, it affects everything. James 4 says this, What fights? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It's that two-dog battle, right? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy to God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he has caused to live in us envies intensely? But, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is where Jesus shows up. When we get humble, when we let go of all that stuff, behind the computer screen, in that world, just feeding that surface us, it's like a, it's like a counterfeit way to feed your heart where no one sees your face, right? Jesus shows up on that heart level where we want to be known, where we're not hiding in the dark behind the screen, where we actually want to be known. When, when on that surface level, we don't know what to do anymore, you know? Where the surface, do this, do that, religion failed me, this is why. Why was, why was I a believer? I had to ask myself. I, cho- I chose to follow Jesus. Jesus found me in that place, in that place, like the listener who wrote in with the email. Broken. Just, this is where I'm at, I'm ready to let go of the wheel, in that deep part of your heart. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, what is under all of our behavior are the motives of our heart, and that's the truth. Do you think, you know, purity is a behavior thing? Purity, we talk about that a lot, that's a big buzzword now in Christian circles about sexuality. We need to achieve sexual purity. Okay, that's not a behavior, an outside thing. It's not a surface thing. It starts in the heart. Do you really think worldliness has to do with the mod- the movies you watch, you know, the music you listen to, what you do for entertainment? Jesus in Mark 7 said, how dull are you? You know? It's really getting on our knees before God and having the courage to ask Jesus, please reveal to me what's in my heart. Why do I react this way? This is where Jesus has shown me how to live. How to rebuild my life. Asking Jesus to show up and build on this heart foundation of my life with pure heart motives. That's why I talk about going to a field. That's why I talk about building on something. What are you building? Where are you building from? What is your foundation? 
Matthew 7, 7 through 9, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and he who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? People have used this passage to mean, you know, building our surface identity like money or status, you know, or that girl or guy we we want maybe or that got away for you single folks. Getting what I want for my surface now, God, now pleasures, you know. I want my way now. God loves us, and like a loving Father, He will not just hand us over to the things that will harm us. And when we forget about our spiritual life, right, when we forget about our heart and investing in our heart, and we just invest in that surface identity, we're much like two-year-olds, you know? We're after the money, right? Give me God, give me the money now. And we, we, our relationships are all built around that. Or sex, just surfacey sex that's not filling you. You know, building all of our relationships and all of our time. And we spend this time online or we spend time trying to get more sex or get more money or get more status or get more wealth or get more religion me, right? I'm this guy. Look at me. I'm a big dude in the church, you know, that's all surface. We get to our hearts. That's where Jesus wants us. You know, worldliness is having our hands gripped around the can, the silver shiny can of surface identity. And, and you know, we're like, God, I, I want this so bad. And God, you know, either doesn't give it to us or worse, he rips it out of our hands. Right. When we're like two year olds holding a can of poison. You know, and we want that poison so bad. It's a surface identity. We don't really know. We, we don't trust. Our hearts are so easily led astray, like Jesus says. The, the analogy of sheep, okay? God doesn't think you're stupid. We're, our hearts are like sheep, and we just want to follow and go this way and go that way. We're easily led astray. That's why it's, it's important to get honest, that in the deep parts of our hearts, when we meet in a real church with a real group of people, and we start talking out of that part of our hearts where we've been wrong, right? Where we've been wrong, where we've harmed people, where we've hurt people, where we've totally invested in that surface identity. How do I even start living out of my heart? And what does it even look like? Getting into a group of people who want to live that way. Much like the movie The Matrix, right? Those folks who know about the surface just being that place of of nothingness, you know? They know, and they're all together in that group, and they talk out of, we know our hearts, we're trying to figure out our hearts, we're trying to live in this world called The Matrix, like the Ephesians, living together, you know, letting go of their little statues of Artemis and actually confessing the stuff that's in their heart, the places they've been wrong, right? Like the Ephesians, like the movie The Matrix. Check this out. I heard a guy named Chuck Swindoll talking about this book he read about these folks in World War II who all got together and lived in this basement of this building for a couple of weeks, really got to know each other tightly because outside there was a war going on and bombs were falling out of the sky. 
We need that. We need church, folks. We need church. We need Jesus, and we need to get around people who can help us show where we've been wrong. We need to be honest. We need to love our families. We need to love our wives, guys. If you're married, ladies, if you're married, it's it's time to swallow your pride and stop living out of that surface. Here's me, you know, this is me attitude and really get into our hearts. And, and part of that is like the listener wrote in and said, I've been wrong, you know. Here's where I messed up. Here's where I get defensive. I'm ready to let go of the wheel. I'm ready to let go of the wheel and start to pray that out. And trust that Jesus isn't going to give you a, a snake when you ask for a fish. Check this song out. This is by the Elms. I love this tune. I've been wrong from the beginning. I've been wrong from the beginning. If you've been losing. I've been winning Then I've been wrong From the beginning I sit by the river I got my feet in the water I feel about a dollar Like I feel about a daughter If I've been This has been my um, my battle cry, my struggle as that, as that song, um, breaking my habit of defensiveness and trying to stay alone. So I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I don't want to admit I'm the bad guy, even when I am, even when it's clear as day to everyone else. And, and breaking sexual addiction, I, I got there through that kind of... I've been wrong. Here's where I've been wrong. Here's where I'm worshiping this and not Jesus. Here's where I don't trust God. Here's where I don't think Jesus is my Savior. I mean, can we be brutally honest and say, I'm looking for this to save me and not Jesus. I want to know why. Can somebody please speak into my life and tell me? St. Francis is my favorite Catholic and here's something that uh, that he would pray. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much...
be consoled as to console, as not to be understood, but to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving we receive, in pardoning we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born into eternal life. I love that. Something else that um, C.S. Lewis said that, that is great words. Let them, let them enter and impact and penetrate your heart. Check this out. Uh, Pastor Rick uh, gave this to me. This is an awesome little, little nugget of truth and wisdom. This is the attitude that I wish the church would adopt. This is from C.S. Lewis. Maybe the redeemed are simply those who gladly bear their shame forever, rejoicing in the occasion in which it furnished God's compassion and gladly that it should be common knowledge to the universe. Perhaps the lost are those who dare not go to such a place. Thanks for listening. My name is Russ. My website is asi247.org. Please send me an email. If any of this is hitting your heart, making an impact on you, if it doesn't make sense, if it does make sense, if you're mad, I want to hear from you. Please, I, I, I don't want to do this all alone, okay? Help me make a better impact on your heart. Um, is there any way I can help? Send me an email. Russ at ASI247.org. Um, if you could leave a donation, I would certainly appreciate it. This is a listener-supported type of operation. And... Uh, there's a there's a donation button on the website there as well. Um, help keep that ripple effect going. Blow your mind some of the emails I've got, some of the people who contact me, and some of the lives that have been shattered and destroyed by this. The movie clip I played was from a film called Perfect Stranger, starring Bruce Willis and Halle Berry. That was Halle Berry's voice you heard at the beginning of the show there with that clip. Um, it is rated R for sex and violence. There is nudity in the film. There is some images that uh, can get stuck in the theater of your mind. So I pray if you're going to watch the film that you're honest and that you can bounce your eyes off some of those scenes. If you're going to watch it with your spouse, you look at her instead of the scene of course, as I talk about, but just be honest with your own heart, whether you're ready or not to watch a film like that. Again, thanks for listening. You're in my prayers. Every single one of you. I love every single one of you. Keep it up. Keep being warriors. Keep fighting. Keep standing up. I end with this song by Fireflight. Till next time, remember, life is... 20% the stuff that happens to you, and 80% how you react to that 20% of your history, of your life. It's time. It's time. Today is the start of the rest of your life. I know that's cliche. I know that's been said before. But today, you will start, and you will start writing the next chapter of your life. 
How's it going to look? What are you going to invest in? Thanks again for listening. Bye. Truth, cover up the truth.